When people become healthier, it's easier to be more spiritual. And when people work to become more spiritual, it's very difficult if they don't have their health. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. <laughs> it's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Guess what we're doing? You'd probably be right. Yeah. What are you doing? Munching. Wow. And this isn't sponsored. It is not sponsored. Wow. Um, in uh, celebration of today's guest. We thought we would eat every single bulletproof thing that we own. <laughs> <laughs> so we did um, We are not unfair safe. advantages. Had some bulletproof coffee. Lindsay's been uh, mainlining MCT oil. <laughs> I have ghee. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm drinking it. But for real, we're, we're eating Bulletproof bars and they're fucking so good. They're so good. What is that? I love, like, you know what's kind of crazy? Good. Is it kind of gets stuck in your teeth and I like it. I know, because later. Mm-hmm. You can get it later. Because then I'm working. I'm like working, working for flavor for like half an hour. I'm like rubbing my teeth right now, getting flavor. <laughs> I am. I'm like, mm. So that's good for me because it helps me slow down. Because mm. then I still have a little treat that I can work on with my teeth. That's a good one. So, so it makes me not eat a, a hundred bars. Totally. These bars are so good. I can't believe, I can't wait to have the bulletproof ice cream. Oh God. Can we go to, can we go? Yeah, I'm totally down. Um, I would love to get the bulletproof ice cream. Hey everyone. Welcome to the almost 30 podcast. Our editors are going to yell at us. I think Cody said at one point, uh, oh, no. biggest pet peeve for e- us eating. No, no, no. Oh. In general, eating on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, that is fucking nasty, dude. <laughs> Yeah, because it's like the worst sounds ever, just like only in your voice. So sorry Mm -hmm. about that. Um, Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. We are a lifestyle podcast based on the transition from your 20s to your 30s. You know, that period in life that no one really talks about, but we are. Welcome. And it lasts longer than your 20s to your 30s. Yeah, It's kind of like this. We're both 30 now. Yeah, and it's just... um, we talk to a lot of people, especially on the road now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have people in their 30s, 40s, 50s coming to our events mm-hmm. and saying that, you know, these conversations have been relevant even to their lives and where, what they're going through now. So, I mean, that makes us fucking happy. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I can't share this with anyone who's not in their 30s, just share it. If you think it'll resonate. Don't be surface. Don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> That's what I'll tell Don't you. Don't see our millennial pink in our logo and think we're just fluff. Yeah. We're so much more than that. <laughs> I'm licking my cell phone case because it has uh, bulletproof crumbs on it. You're so good at that. Anyways. So, um, Lindsay and I have been, you know, on the road on tour and I quit my job a few weeks ago and we've been really in the thick of doing this whole thing full time. Being yeah. entrepreneurs. And I, I feel- It's a wild ride. It's a wild fucking ride. And I feel- Never a moment. I feel like we're, maybe we're about to come out of it. Uh, what Lacey talks about is the dark period. Oh, really? <laughs> Meaning 
I think that you quit your job. I mean, did you, I'll ask you, did you feel like right after like things became a little like overwhelming in certain ways, like where it was almost testing you? Mm-mm. No. Okay, cool. Right. Not testing me, but I mean, I feel like everything's been going great, but I do feel like I just am learned. Like, I can't believe, I can't believe that. I can't believe I'm an entrepreneur in yeah. this sense in my full time. It's made for me and I was destined to be it. And I every look back at every job and understand why. Mm. Um, Cause I knew more than everyone there. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> um, no, but it's like, just the constant fucking learning, man. It's just crazy. Like it's, it's actually hum. It's like humbling. It's humbling. It's crazy. There's literally never a dull fucking moment. There's a high and then there's a low, and it's all on you. You have to answer every question. You have to make every decision. You are directing the ship. You are doing everything. It's all in your hands, which there, is crazy. Yeah. There are no timeouts. As no timeout. You can't like, you can't go into your room and like not come out for a literally few days. at work like days. <laughs> I could fucking like chill all day. Well, I would work on this all day, but yeah, I could literally not do, you know, sometimes if you're on a corporate job, depending on the job, of course, mm-hmm. you know, there are people there that work the entire day with their job and God bless them. But there are in the careers that I was in, there was oftentimes that were slow periods and I'd have a few hours in the day and you could chill. Literally I'd talk all day, my first job, like yeah, whatever. But you know, with an, as an entrepreneur, it's like you're, I personally feel like I'm working the entire time. It's, there's no like downtime. Mm-hmm. Completely. But I do think as time goes on, we'll kind of find those pockets of like stillness too. Cause right now it feels like, we, ha- we have to, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like a machine that kind of always needs the love and attention yep. and answering the emails and doing, you know, planning the next event, mm-hmm. which feels so good. And we love doing it, mm-hmm. but it's also, you know, I think there will be a time when, when some of the process is either, you know, we have a, a team that helps us run mm-hmm. it and we can kind of find the stillness mm-hmm. in like what is going on. Cause what is going on is so much bigger. Mm-hmm. I'm like trying to comprehend mm-hmm. all that is happening, but yeah, I mean, it's been fun. We're it's having so fun. a lot of fun and we get to talk pinch muscle, as you know, as you guys know, to some of the most rad people on the mm-hmm. planet. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think about it all the time. Like, yeah, truly. And there has been a common thread with, you know, some of the the greats and some of the amazing conversations. And it was something that, you know, Dave, who are interviewed today, mm-hmm. introducing him a little premature, but um, he exhibited this quality of presence mm-hmm. that is a common thread throughout some of, you know, the, our best interviews. Great point. Yes. Where he was actually fully invested in our interview mm-hmm. and there's levels. So, you know, you'll have someone at, if you were to rank as far as notoriety is concerned based on the public perception of someone, when you're at a lower level, you're going to be very present within an interview with a podcast of someone like our size, because, you know, this may be your first or you've only done a few podcasts. So it's very exciting and very new. So you're very present and you want to put your best foot forward. And then oftentimes I come to find that there's, um, a theme of the people in the middle have so much going on. They're like us. So they're entrepreneurs. They're doing so many different things and it's harder to be present because they have a hundred things going on. You're, uh, you know, there's a tendency to overschedule yourself, 
overexert yourself. And these are all themes that I find in my life quite often. So it's really hard to be super present because you have so much going on. Mm. And then there's the higher level of someone like Dave, where you have a system set in place where you've structured and managed your life by design so that you have people managing the things that might stress you out, that give you the ability to be present in a conversation like he was with us. Yeah. He talked about, you know, hiring people to do things better than him. And that is the one Mm -hmm. thing that will accelerate your career as an entrepreneur. Um, And that totally resonates with us. But yeah, he was- Literally unafraid to hire. I'll hire a hundred people. Oh my God, unafraid to hire. I've never been afraid to hire. No. It's kind of like a, I don't really understand that. Me either. I think when people want to, if they're frugal, Uh, maybe, uh and, and, and- they want to keep as to much me. of the money to themselves that as makes po- sense to me. possible. But hey, I think you'll make more money if you have a team that is doing things better than you could ever do it. 100%. You know, and I do think it. That's why Chloe lives in the basement. Literally in a and box. doesn't come out. Chained to the yeah, pole. For a hundred bucks a week. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> she makes a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, it was just really interesting, and and you could kind of feel that like, I don't, I, we don't, we didn't know him way back when, but I just felt like there was like laugh, lack of ego, you know, like, and I think you do have to drop the ego as you hire more people because they are going to be doing things better than you, yeah. and like, yeah. you you birthed the idea, and you are like kind of the lifeblood of how this all runs, but you know, there is a sense of dropping the ego as you hire people and as a company gets bigger. And he's just a really great example of that. And um, he's so passionate about the brand mm. and the mission and the movement behind it. So we really related on that as well. Um, and it was like contagious. I didn't know what I thought. I didn't, I didn't know what I thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. I just was like, just so like happy. I guess you. Th- I guess I assume with bulletproof. You know, the name bulletproof is masculine. Yeah. The assumption with the it's not the ketogenic diet necessarily, but the assumption with doing that sort of diet seems very masculine to me. Mm-hmm. There's a focus on meats. There's a focus on fats. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, again, seems masculine. So I would assume that it would be more focused on men, or he would be. I guess just less present and sweet and kind and fun. And like, you know, he just was such a thoughtful, such a delight to talk to super smart. So really want to thank him for that and thank the team for scheduling this interview. Um, And during our conversation, it was really great. So we were able to use some of the questions that you shared with us in the secret Facebook group. So oftentimes when we have interviews, we really want to incorporate the community. So we um, pull you guys or send out a signal to say that we're interviewing someone. And then you can provide insight and commentary into what Lindsay and I are going to talk about with our guests. Uh, So a few of those questions were related to the Bulletproof Diet or the, or, or, and, or the ketogenic diet related to female hormones and hormone health. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about intermittent fasting and hormones. Um, We talk a lot about his journey to building the brand and the business. Um, And we talked a lot about what are the staples within the bulletproof diet that everyone should be taking a look at or leveraging based on some of the science that he's explored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we get into that like connection between gut health and brain health and how Mm. it's really improved his cognitive function as he, you know, considers himself on the Asperger's spectrum. So it was really interesting to talk to him about his 
journey with that. So thank you guys for tuning in. We're so excited to share our conversation with Dave Asprey. And if you love this interview, uh, pass it along to someone who you feel would love it too. Rate and review on iTunes. It always is just so, and we'll read a review right now, but um, it's really, really great to hear from you. I mean, you guys are like, you're our friends, you're our community. Mm-hmm. So for you to speak and, and, and say something about almost 30 podcast, um, and always giving us feedback. We really appreciate that. Um, do we have a review? Yep. Let me see. Here's one from Talia. Yes. Michaela. I was just looking for a podcast that would essentially be background noise while I worked. This podcast turned into so much more in the first five minutes. I look forward to listening every day. I never listen to a more relatable and lovable podcast. Kristen Lindsay don't just talk to you. They t- don't just talk at you. They talk to you. I've heard a lot of things that I needed to hear. And I feel like a lot of the things I'm learning are so important. I love working on myself while listening. I've shared so many of the things with my boyfriend as well. Our relationship just keeps getting stronger. Mm. Thank you, sweet one. Wow. Thank you. That means so much. Um, so join the Secret Facebook group. You invited on Facebook by searching Secret Almost 30 Podcast Facebook group. Um, and you can request to join. And then come see us on tour. So almost30podcast.com slash tour. We are in cities across the country and we would love to see you and meet you in person and have you connect with some of the amazing women in our community. And then you could also buy our Almost 30 Nation I Am Enough necklaces on our website. So we have a few more of those left and those are beautiful gold bar necklaces. All right, guys, enjoy this episode. We'll catch you on the other side. Before we get into our questions from the group, I'd love to kind of go back there to your early 20s. I know I, I, I want to know and I want you to share what was happening at 26 in particular, but you know, who was Dave Asprey in his early 20s? I actually had Asperger's syndrome, to be honest. I had just about zero social skills. I honestly didn't know the names of most of the people in my classes in high school. I, I know three people's names and I was kind of in a little box and pretty smart, I like to think. And I was really anxious and angry, but I didn't really know that I was anxious because I'd always been that way. And it was just, I thought everyone was that way. And I was really dramatically successful in my career because it was all I focused on. It was like, you know, how do I become successful? How do I solve problems? How do I make a lot of money? And it ended up working. I, I mean, I, I weighed 300 pounds, uh, but I started paying attention to it. I ended up losing about 50 of those and realized I was actually a nicer person when I was thinner because my biology worked better. So I had more mental power to not act like a jerk when I didn't mean to. And everyone, no matter their age, there's been times when I can't believe I said that. And I just was living my life in the constant, I can't believe I just said that space. And when I was 26, I went through this really interesting time. I I read Think and Grow Rich, a book by Napoleon Hill, a a very famous book, the first personal development book. And I read this when I was 16 and and I'd written this goal. It was on my mirror and and it said, I'm going to make a million dollars by the time I'm 23. And I would look at this every morning and it was all about the money. And it didn't work because when I was 26, I made $6 million, but it didn't work when I was 23. So, uh, you know, I, no, I do think it sucks. It yeah. sucks to be uh, I, I mean, it's, I'm almost there. Yeah. But, but here's the thing I lost it when I was 28. So when I'm 26, I'm like, I'm set for life. I'm just going to finish working at this company. We've gone public and I'm going to keep all the money. I'm going to go get a degree in psychopharmacology or something interesting. And the world is my playground. 
And two years later, I'm like, oh my God, I don't have any money and this sucks. And so I went through this, this crisis of, okay, that's, you know, life didn't turn out the way that I expected it to. And now I understand that, that expectations are basically premeditated suffering. And you don't need to have those expectations and to be willing and open to learn from other people, which is something that I was resistant to. And I, I look back and at the time, I was the first person to sell anything over the internet. Uh, so I'm this, this, I was wearing a size double extra large t-shirt, selling t-shirts out of my dorm room to 14 countries over the internet before there was even a web browser. It was something no one would do. And as an entrepreneur magazine, that's my proof of fat picture of this like red swollen face. And it was this, this amazing time. Now, at the same time I did this, this guy named Mark Andreessen, who's a multi-billionaire, uh, a famous VC and entrepreneur, he created the first web browser. Now, he's a multi-billionaire and I'm not. And the reason is that when he was 26, he called someone 20 years older than him, a guy named Jim Clark at, at a big computer company called Sun and said, hey, teach me. And what I did was, I already know everything. No one's going to teach me anything. I'm just going to do it better than all you dumb old people. <laughs> That's what I do now. <laughs> yeah. And man, I, I spent a lot of my time today interviewing people who are 80. <laughs> They've yes. got twice <laughs> Just because I can learn from all their mistakes. And, and so I, I, I like to think I'm wiser now than I was, but I was maybe a particularly stubborn, unhappy uh, person in my 20s. Uh, and I, I'm grateful now that I had all the health problems that I had, arthritis and, and cognitive decline and prediabetes and Lyme disease and fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue wow. and all the other problems. Wow. Because look where I am now. I, I had to solve those. And then it gave me the ability to write my blog for myself when I was 20 to say, hey, here's what you should have done. Uh, and maybe some people are, will listen and, and maybe it'll help them a lot and it won't cost them $300,000. Mm. Do you? I mean, how much do you think that the the Aspergers had play in you not wanting to seek outside help or counsel? I don't know. Uh, all of my aunts and uncles, and even my grandmother on that side of the family, they're all on that spectrum somewhere. She has an advanced degree in nuclear engineering and wow. is is very, uh, you know, just in that very logical thing. What that spectrum makes you do is it makes you put everything in your head. So you, you think through everything and you just don't listen to what's going on in your heart or in your gut. You look at that as all noise. There's just too much noise. There's not enough signals. So just, just get rid of all that. Ignore it. Ignore it, which will not lead to success or being a happy person by a long shot. But it, it makes you say, well, the rational thing to do would be to listen to people. But you don't understand underneath it is your ego saying, well, if you listen to them, it means you're not good enough. And so I had that going on in the background, invisible to me. And I'm not sure that it, it was necessarily being you know, ADHD or Asperger's or something like that, but just more that, hey, fear of not being good enough. And now, hey, I think I'm pretty good, but there's people who are way better at what they do than what I am. And the reason I've been able to grow Bulletproof the way I have is that I hire people way better at doing what they, what they do than if I try to do their job. I, I know my superpowers, the, the things that bring me joy and energy and the things that only I can do. And I, I just sat down and said, I'm only going to do those. <laughs> and if someone else can do something that, that I'm not the best in the world at, maybe I can ask them to do it for me or with me or in partnership with me. Uh, and they'll love it because that's their superpower. And it's that ability to form a team 
um, that's really set me free. And, and that's the stuff that I just didn't understand earlier in my life, probably because I was more stubborn than the average person. Mm-hmm. What was your gateway into feeling better, like, and being in your body and perhaps in that heart space? I, I started out in a very classical engineering fashion. And I said, you know, I'm not remembering things the way I want to. And I know how much I know and I know how much I've, I've learned to become an expert in my field. And I can't bring it at work some days. It's just not working. So I did a bunch of research and I ordered $1,200 worth of smart drugs from Europe. It, full on. As you do. <laughs> yeah, as I mean, you that's do. what everyone would do. Yeah, right? I was like, right. <laughs> Duh. Six weeks later, this plain white wrapper thing arrives and you open it up and I took them and it's like, damn it, they don't work. I quit taking them. And then as soon as I quit taking them, I'm like, wait, I'm struggling to remember words now. And then I realized they had been working, but I just felt so much more like myself that it was almost, un- it was hard to observe. And I said, all right, I'm going to keep taking these. And that turned my brain on enough to start saying, what else can I, can I pay attention to? And I'd been in a, in a really unhealthy relationship uh, for a while. And when that ended, I, I was acting like an engineer. And I said, you know, I just don't get it. This, this doesn't make sense to me because I had the assumption that I was a rational being. And for, for you, for anyone listening, here's the deal. You are simultaneously a rational human being and an irrational animal. And you cannot be only one of those (laughs) because you're human. So there's a separate consciousness inside of you that emerges from your mitochondria. It's the consciousness of your body and it's there to help you. And it will also completely screw you up if you allow it to. And I did this 10-day personal development thing with holotropic breathing and all sorts of stuff. And... uh, when I walked in the door, a friend had said, Dave, you need to go do this, but I'm not telling you what it's about because you won't go. But since I was so desperate, I just didn't want to be in another crappy relationship, I went. It was called the Star Foundation. And the lady, uh, her name was Barbara Findeisen. And she turns out she's the head of the American Pre and Perinatal Psychology Association. And she has these big blue eyes. And she looks at me and she says, Dave, tell me about your birth. And I go, uh, Hospitals, vaginas. Yeah. Like, like, You're like, it was real wet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, I was kind of weirded out, actually. And, and I said, well, I know that I was born with an umbilical cord around my neck, but I didn't lose oxygen, so no big deal. She goes, yeah, I thought so. And she puts this PowerPoint slide up and she says, this is you. And it's a full-on... Uh, you ever see a butterfly pinned down on a taxidermy table? Uh-huh. It's all of my strengths and weaknesses, mostly weaknesses, just fully elucidated. And wow. I felt like someone punched me in the gut. And I said, how could you know? I never told anyone this stuff. How did you know? And she said, well, when people are born with a traumatic birth, it sets their, their body up, their emotions oh, up to look at really? the world as a threatening place. And you have that. And literally, I had a tear come to my eye. I'm like, what wow. the hell is going on here? And I ended up spending 10 days just digging in on how I got wired the way I'm wired. And I ended up doing um, years of neurofeedback and all these other personal development things that are part of the, the Bulletproof Training Institute, part of the neuroscience facility in Seattle for brain upgrades that I opened around, hey, it's possible to turn off bad wiring. So most of us learn, especially in our, in our teens and our 20s, that we're going to feel a lot of stuff. And to become successful in life, we have to be able to catch that with our prefrontal cortex. All right, I'm pissed off at my boss. 
but I'm not going to tell him to go screw himself because I'll get fired. So you feel the pissed offness, but you go, yes, sir. Thank you very much. You, know, <laughs> and, and you do what you're supposed to do in order to function, but it costs you a lot emotionally and even biochemically to be in that stressful situation. And what I found it's possible to do is to go through. And if the reason I'm feeling pissed off at my boss is my own crap, not his or hers, then I can just turn off my wiring so it doesn't push my buttons anymore. So by removing buttons, instead of being better at managing them, I freed up so much energy to do the things that matter a lot. And now I'm simultaneously, you know, Bulletproof uh, has raised more than $50 million in funding and I'm a CEO, but I'm also a dad and a husband and a New York Times author and run a podcast twice a week all of which are full-time jobs. And I'm not stressed by that stuff. I actually love it because all my buttons, not all, most of my buttons are gone. So I don't spend energy basically spinning around inside my head the way I would have uh, when I was young and angry. And you did that in 10 days through that program? The program set me on the path. And it did. It was very... It was liberating because holotropic breathing is a technique that was pioneered by Stan Groff, a guy I've interviewed on, on Bulletproof Radio. He's in his 80s now. And he's a psychologist, actually a psychiatrist in the old uh, Czechoslovakia. And he treated 3,000 patients with LSD in a clinical setting and found that he could cure things that talking for 20 years wouldn't cure. And when LSD became illegal, he developed a breathing technique based on yoga that makes you, at the technical term, is trip balls. And I mean, it, it really just kind of launched me out of my body. And I said, oh my God, there's all this stuff going on there I was just unaware of. And it was really a transformational thing to make me wake up and say, there is a signal coming from my heart. There's a signal from my gut. And if I learn how to listen to those, I might learn something about myself and be better able to interact with the world. And what I found out was that I had a really crappy signal coming from them because I was full of anxiety and fear and doubt and uncertainty that was invisible to me as a rational human being. Mm. I did not know that was in there. But when I looked inside, I said, oh, man, I got work to do. And I spent some time doing work. I went to Tibet to learn meditation from the masters, you know, all, all sorts of, of things in the personal development realm, while at the same time hacking my biology. And what came out at the end of it is, if your body doesn't work well, you're in constant pain. I've had three knee surgeries, arthritis since I was 14 in my knees. And if you're in constant pain physically or constant emotional pain, or you're fat, or you're too thin, or your hormones are off, any of these things, you won't be able to turn on all the energy you can turn on to do the growth that's necessary to evolve as a human being at any age. Wow. So I'm thinking about like genetics too. Like, So do you feel like with what you've discovered that people could bypass genetics in a way? Genetics is fascinating. Uh, I interviewed a guy named Bruce Lipton. And Bruce is the creator of something called Biology of Belief. He's a cellular biologist, one of the first guys to clone cells. So a hardcore laboratory scientist. And what he saw in his Petri dishes was that what the cells did was entirely a function of the growth medium they were in. It wasn't the cell, it was the environment. And he is considered the father of epigenetics or the study of how the environment turns genes on or off inside of you. And the current state of the art there is that you have two kinds of DNA. You have your DNA, which is going to describe the the physical walls and roof and floor, the, the, the hardware. But there's another set of DNA that only comes from your mom. 
and it's called mitochondrial DNA. And the mitochondrial DNA, its job is to be the power plant in the environmental sensors. So what you want to be able to do is, is do the things that I, I teach in the Bulletproof Diet, uh, the supplements, the lifestyle, things like that, that turn on your sensing network so that you can fully sense the environment around and make the right amount of energy, the most you're capable of, which then allows you to turn on the genes that your body has so you can be healthy. So if you have a gene that can go one way, which is good, or one way that's bad, having enough power and enough environmental sensors to make it go the right way is the first and easiest thing to do. And the scary thing that came out in Headstrong, my last book, 48% of people under age 40 have early onset mitochondrial insufficiency. And what that means, you take a unit of food and a unit of air and you don't make a unit of energy. You make less than a unit of energy. And that means you're already getting inflammation. It means your brain already isn't working the way it could be working. And everyone over age 40 has it and they just call it aging. And it turns out that's hackable. Me, in my 20s, I had terrible mitochondrial function. So I was eating food and instead of making energy, I was making muffin top. <laughs> uh, and that's bad because you want energy for your brain. Your brain's the mm. most energy sucking part of, of your body. So here you are trying to build your career and you're sitting in a meeting and you want to come up with that idea and you just can't bring it. Or someone does something, pushes a button and you just tell them to go pound sand and then you know, it, just bad things happen in your career from that. And I would do that over and over. Mm. Uh, because I didn't want to do it because I didn't feel like I had control over it. And now I feel like having enough energy comes first and then having good programming comes second. Mm. And so in, in, within your journey, you were you went on this 10-day experience and then you kind of had the tools and then you were leveraging them in your life. What was the journey of your health? Was it parallel to this spiritual kind of physical body, physical embodiment journey that you were going on? Or what was that relationship? When people become healthier, it's easier to be more spiritual. And when people work to become more spiritual, it's very difficult if they don't have their health. You can still do it, but it takes an enormous act of will. And unfortunately, willpower also comes from electrons in your body that are made from your, your mitochondria. So if you're low on energy, you're just low on willpower. And then to become to, to develop a spiritual practice when you just don't have the energy to get up in the morning, it's, it's hard. That said, having a robust spiritual meditation practice will give you more energy, but it's, it's not evenly matched. So in, in my own path, I did find that I said, I am going to lose this weight if it's the most, if it's the last thing I do, it's the most important thing. So I worked out six days a week, an hour and a half a day, half weights and half cardio. And I went on a low fat, low calorie diet. And I did this for 18 months straight. And at the end of this, I could max out every machine at the gym except for two. And <laughs> Which I ones? Did, yeah. yeah. So were they? <laughs> uh, there was some kind of a shoulder press thing I had a hard time with. I was two plates away from maxing it out. Oh, uh, damn. But you know, I was, I was strong, but I was still fat. I still weighed 300 pounds. I was a 46-inch waist, and I'm about a 33 today. Wow. Um, so your weight didn't change. No, it didn't change. And I was so mad because I was at Carl's Jr. with my friends in college. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> I, I was probably about 23, 24 at this time. And, and I'm watching them eat Western bacon cheeseburgers, which are delicious and not very good for you. Yeah. And I'm eating a salad with no dressing. And I just thought to myself, I could bench press everyone at this table while they eat their cheeseburgers. And they're all thin and I'm fat. And it's just not fair. But then this is where bad programming comes to play. 
It's because I failed. It's because I'm not trying hard enough. It's because I'm eating too many pieces of lettuce, right? And what happened is I just had bad advice. The idea that you're going to exercise your way to thin is wrong. And the idea that a low a low calorie diet, especially a low fat, low calorie diet is going to make me lose weight. It was wrong. So what I was doing is I was putting all my effort into doing things that were sabotaging me and then feeling like a failure for doing that. And by the way, this is a great recipe for making a lot of money. Here's a diet soda. It'll make you lose weight. <laughs> it doesn't make you lose weight, which means you need to drink even more of them to try and lose more weight, even though it actually is I do obesity. So I would tell you, please don't anyone make money that way. But there are big companies doing that right now. And we've got to understand now, and, and I, I feel like like younger people today are way wiser than I was, partly because you have the ability to listen to you know, the Almost 30 podcast. You know, <laughs> That's true. That's true, Dave. No. That's going to be hey, a soundbite for... I, I mean, <laughs> but, but if you think about it... That's true. <laughs> I yeah. didn't have any of that. I would get a magazine when I was 20. I'm, I'm only 45. I'm not particularly old, but... The world had changed so much. So you have the ability to listen to people who actually have success. And what I was getting was spoon-fed from the media and a little bit from the internet, mostly in the form of text. And thank God for that, because without the internet, I would still weigh 300 pounds. Frankly, I'd probably be dead. Uh, and I, I don't mean to say that dramatically, but I had so many things wrong with me biologically that I would have been in a, in a very bad place. And right now, you, you have this endless opportunity to absorb information. So the speed of change is uh, it's inspiring and amazing and i just i wish i'd had all this uh, when i was 20 because it's almost effortless to learn something and then to try something uh, whereas you go back half a generation and it was very hard to learn it and then if you wanted to do it you didn't have amazon uh, you would actually have to drive somewhere and hope they had it and maybe you could call someone and just the friction it took to have the tools to be a better human being was very hard and now it's almost frictionless Wow. And so you were at, so you, so you were there. They were eating the burgers. You were eating, you know, low fat, low calorie. And what were you just like, fuck this? And then you went and did yeah. research or what was like the well, turning point? I went to a little uh, a little yogurt coffee shop in Modesto, California, uh, where I was working. And I saw a weightlifting magazine. And in the early 90s, you pretty much didn't look at weightlifting magazines in a farming community because really, like, <laughs> who wants to look at a bunch of guys in bikinis? <laughs> Everyone's like, we're worried about can, Dave. Look at some uh, yeah. guys in overalls. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, we had 4-H in my school, right? <laughs> you know, what, what, kind of, what kind of farm are you going to run when you grow up? Damn. Yeah. And so I saw this thing that said, how to get abs. And I'm like, I have flabs and I've been working on this for 18 months and I, I'm going to just read this. <laughs> so I, I kind of picked it up and I looked and there was an article about how carbs can make you fat. So I cut carbs and gluten actually out of my diet without meaning to cut gluten out. And I lost 50 pounds in three months. Wow. And that was transformative. But more importantly, my parents said, hey, Dave, you're actually nicer. Uh -huh. like, we like you more now. And I realized, hey, I am less angry. This is weird. Mm -hmm. So I got this idea that, wait a minute, what I eat actually affects how I feel. Because a lot of people have been taught that really how you feel has nothing to do with what you eat. But what you eat is the biggest predictor of how you're going to feel compared to anything else you do. So I started this path of becoming aware, hey, how am I feeling right now? What's my energy level? And I write it down on the margins of my notebooks. And then I say, what did I do beforehand? And I started correlating how I felt with what I did and realized, hey, I'm in total charge of how I feel and how I look. 
But sometimes what I did two days ago affects how I feel today. Mm-hmm. And that became this interest level. And then I started in my mid-20s uh, meeting with people three, four times my age at an anti-aging group. And I started interviewing people who were making old people young again. And then I would use those techniques not to make myself younger, but to make myself more powerful and stronger and more energetic. And that formed the basis of Bulletproof. Because man, you take the stuff that old people do to feel halfway decent and you do those in your mid-20s, it's like rocket fuel. (laughs) It's this huge whole new level of performance that everyone has in them, but no one tells you it's there. I kind of want to get into one, just to set the stage for people who don't know what the Bulletproof diet is. Most of our community does, but for those who don't, would you kind of explain both the nutritional aspects and also having to do with stress and things like that? I'd love to kind of dive in there. Totally. Uh, The Bulletproof Diet is based on this radical idea that the first thing you do is stop doing the things that make you weak. It's more important than doing the things that make you strong. And it's the first diet like that, uh, that I'm aware of. And so there's three categories of food in it. And the first one is stuff that pretty much makes everyone feel good. And the template for the diet is a plate covered in vegetables. And this doesn't mean char-grilled, deep-fried vegetables with ketchup on them. It means actually reasonably cooked vegetables. A moderate amount of very high-quality protein. So you spend more on protein, but you eat less of it. So it's about the same cost. And then you cover the whole thing in lots of undamaged high-quality fat, like grass-fed butter, the brain octane oil that I manufacture, avocados, olive oil, things like that. And you want at least half your calories to come from good fats and none of your calories to come from bad fats and none of your calories to come from sugar and grains and processed foods and things like that. When you do this, at least most of the time, you feel really good. But if you have weight to lose, It just comes off. But the most important thing that happens from the Bulletproof Diet is that it makes ketones in your body. And you don't have to be in ketosis all the time. In fact, I don't recommend it, especially for women. But when you're using uh, brain octane, it turns into ketones. When you're not eating too much sugar, your body will naturally become good at burning fat. And your brain, the neurons in your brain, they want to burn fat more than anything else. And your job is to make sure your neurons are fat and happy. And when you do that, your brain actually works better, which is the holy grail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned something that a lot of our our girls in our group were talking about was the differences between men and women in the case of the Bulletproof Diet and taking into consideration like female hormones. What what should women be doing differently, if anything, and what considerations should should we be thinking about? Mm -hmm. There's a concept called intermittent fasting. And the idea is you don't eat for 18 hours a day, which sounds hard, except what it really means is, well, you had an early dinner, you went to sleep, woke up, had a late lunch. Not that big of a deal. And this can reset some things in your body. It can trigger something called autophagy, where your body uh, eats up old cells and waste products and cells. And it's really good for you. And we're all wired as human beings. Oh, if it's good for you, I think I should do it all the time. So you get people say, I'm going to do this every day for the rest of my life. And it's very easy to do this if you're 23. And the reason is that you can get away with almost anything biologically when you're 23. You can drink six nights a week and still function (laughs) as a human being when you're 23, right? Like you have so much biological resilience and energy. It's awesome. Uh, But you can also tax it without feeling that you're taxing it. And anyone who's 
usually it hits around 25, 26. You're like, man, maybe I should only drink three nights a week because if I keep doing this, I actually feel kind of wrecked, right? But you didn't feel it when you were younger because you could actually do it. So it's the same thing with intermittent fasting. Uh, it works really well um, for lots of people. And if women do it once or twice a week, it can be really good. But if they do it every single day of the week, it tends to lead to sleep problems first and hormone problems second. And the hack for that is it's okay to have energy in the morning. Just don't have carbs, which are going to cause blood sugar fluctuations. And maybe even don't have protein in the morning. So what's left is fat. And drinking some olive oil isn't very pleasant. But bulletproof coffee is the basis of something called bulletproof intermittent fasting. And it's something I created. And the idea is you have a moderate amount of fat. It's around 200 calories. If you need a lot of energy, you can make it 400 calories. But it's grass-fed butter, brain octane oil, and bulletproof coffee beans. And you do that during intermittent fast. And that tends to be easier on women. And if no matter what age you are, if you have more than about 20 pounds to lose, you probably should put some protein in there also. Because you can do an intermittent fast some days, but most days you want to have even 30 grams of protein. And my favorite is collagen protein. That's why my bars are based on it and why it's uh, a regular bulletproof product because it's the least inflammatory animal protein that causes you to be able to build connective tissues and hair and skin and things like that. But uh, that's, that's kind of the story for women is maybe you don't want to eat nothing for breakfast every day, but doing it once or twice a week might feel really good. And the rest of the time, just stop with the bagels and the muffins and the fruit smoothies and the waffles, because that's a horrible breakfast that will set you up to gain weight and not have a lot of energy. And then you'll get the 10 a.m. cravings. And then 11.45, you'll be disabled until lunch. And then at two o'clock, you'll crash. And so you'll eat something else with sugar and you'll be on that same cycle that I was on for so long. When you get the bulletproof diet right, you simply don't care about food. You will forget that it's lunchtime. You know, oh, I guess I should eat, or maybe I won't. But it's that level of food lost its ability to take my attention away. And for me, that's been very liberating. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like spiritual. It's like another level of like not having food be like, I don't know, the, the other person in the room yeah like oh, nagging you because like i think as yeah. women like <laughs> at least i do like i i think about my next meal I'm like where is it coming from what am i doing like you know what i mean you, so to not be kind of like held by that is like a a release into a higher consciousness i think in your body you want to know where that comes from there's there's a whole tell a me whole <laughs> all right all the years so. This came into my awareness after I wrote Headstrong, the book about mitochondria. And one of the reasons I write books is uh, I also used to be a teacher at the University of California. Um, if you want to really understand something, you have to either teach it or write a book about it. So I write books about things. I really have to internalize it. This came to me after it was published because I wish I would have put it in there. If you're alive, whether you're a bacteria or a human being, there's three things that you have to do in order. So let's think about it just as a single bacteria. The first thing you do is you run away from, kill, or hide from scary things. And if you don't do that right now, it's the end of you. You will die. So that gets the most of your attention and you're always ready. The second thing you have to do to stay alive is you have to eat everything because you never know when a famine's coming. You're a dumb little bacteria. So eat, 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 eat. And the third thing you have to do after you've done those first two is you have to have sex with everything else. Mm. Because if you don't reproduce the species, the species will die and then it's game over. 
So our attention is, is there anything scary or threatening in the room, including failure, including shame, including uh, lack of love, including tigers? <laughs> like, it, it doesn't really matter. We were talking about a single-celled bacteria, right? And then we go through this and I will, I will put it to you guys. Have you ever done anything you're ashamed of that wasn't one of those three behaviors? Probably. No, <laughs> no, it falls into every category. Yeah. Exactly. So these are bacterial behaviors. And guess what? We are more bacterial than human. And I'm not talking about the bacteria in the gut that we all talk about. Inside each of your cells, there are thousands of ancient bacteria running that operating system. So what's going on here is as soon as you're not too stressed by whatever's going on in your environment, the next big priority in your, in your tissues, not in your brain, but throughout your body in a distributed system is eat, 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 eat. And when you give them the right signal that says, there's no need to eat, there's plenty of energy here, then they stop. And all the energy that they were stealing with that voice in your head, it's now free for you to do something else, including that spiritual side of things. And that's why every spiritual tradition has a period of fasting. Because after two days of fasting, you go into ketosis and you stop caring about food. And then you can become one with the universe or whatever <laughs> else it is you're working on doing. And I've done pretty much all that stuff. Uh, I've fasted for four days in a cave outside Sedona uh, with a shaman monitoring me remotely and you know that sort of thing. It, it's, it's a very different mindset, but it turns out you can turn it on with if you eat the right foods and you don't eat the wrong foods together, you can get that level of, I just stopped worrying about food. And when you stop worry and your body is no longer worried about starving to death or where the next meal comes from, instead of worrying, you can start paying attention to what's the best thing I could do in my life right now. And that's what's changed my whole trajectory is just turning off that damn voice telling me to eat the bagel. Wow. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that when I eat sugar more. Like we've we've been on tour and the the last week I was eating sugar a lot more than I normally do. And I, I felt the voice and I just it's really frustrating. And it often has like a negative connotation with it. So it's really frustrating to always feel like you're controlled by by that voice wanting to get food. But I noticed that when I eat sugar and I can like turn that off, of course, like when I eat fat. So I completely feel that and that resonates a lot with me. Um, I wanted to ask about so is bulletproof keto like is there a difference or like what do you feel about about that? The bulletproof blog is one of the one of the things that made keto popular today because ketosis is built into the diet but but it's a cyclical ketosis. And there's what I'm going to call the, the keto bro mindset which is ketones are good Therefore, if you eat one gram of sugar again, you're a bad person and my ketones are bigger than yours. And, okay, <laughs> this will destroy your gut bacteria and you will not like your life and you'll act like a jerk. Okay? We're going to change our happen. podcast to Keto Bros. That's <laughs> <laughs> our new podcast name. <laughs> it's too funny because I'm the biggest fan of ketosis, but if you do it all the time, it's just like eating sugar all the time. It's not going to yeah. work. So what I recommend is that you always have background ketones, at least 0.5 in your blood. And the only way to really do that is by changing what you eat. Brain octane oil will do that reliably, or you can consistently eat less than uh, usually around 15 grams of carbs a day. So you can be on the all vegetables with tons of fat diet. And I recommend that diet anyway. But a lot of times, especially for women, you're going to have some carbs. And even for men, if you don't get enough carbs, your ability to put on muscle goes down. Your ability to make testosterone goes down. So we need moderate carbs, but we pulse them. So if you're going to eat carbs, you eat them at dinner. 
And you don't eat a huge plate of pasta at dinner. You have a little bit of rice or sweet potato with your dinner. And the idea there is, is you do that. And sometimes you're in keto bro mode, but you go in and out of it on a regular basis. And I have a book on my shelf from the year I was born from a guy named Robert Atkins, who wrote The Atkins Diet. And he was saying, hey, ketosis is, is really cool, but he would tell you eat pork rinds and margarine. As long as it's fat, it doesn't matter. And it turns out most people who go into ketosis while eating toxins, which is a lot of the, the current keto world, they're using ketone salts with weird sweeteners and stuff, that can cause problems. And you get these artificial sweeteners. So you cut out the toxins, cut out the inflammatory stuff first, then eat the good fats and go in this cyclical ketosis. And what you end up with is you feel great. You don't eat a lot of animal protein because you're eating less of it. You're actually eating grass-fed animals that support the environment instead of ones that destroy the environment. I don't ever eat industrial animals and I think it's unethical to do so. Uh, so you go through this thing, you're like, wait, I'm helping the world. I feel really good all the time and I get to eat carbs sometimes, but I don't eat sugar when I have carbs. And it's that mindset where ketosis is a part of it, but it's not the only solution. You've got to look at toxins. You've got to look at what kind of meat you're eating. And you've got to not eat too much of it. So it's a nuanced form of keto and it's cyclical. Mm, love that. Can you talk to us um, about inflammatory foods and like the lag time between... Because I heard you speak before about you know something that you eat on a Friday, you can feel on a Monday. So I, I kind of want to hit this point home with people because oh, yeah. you know they just think, oh, if I feel sh like shitty right after I eat this, then I won't eat it again. But they're unable to connect the dots between that like window of time. This took me a couple of years to figure out. It drove me crazy. So I read a book in the '90s that was the first book to really talk about a, a cheat day. Like, oh, this one day you're just going to eat whatever you want and then you'll still be able to put muscle because <laughs> weight is going to be great. So on Friday nights, I would have this nice dinner and my favorite dessert, it was in the Bay Area, it was called chocolate fantasy tort. And it was a layer of cheesecake, a layer of chocolate <laughs> mousse, a layer of chocolate cake, all with dark chocolate on That's top. About right. That's about right. That's about right. Fantasy, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> so I, I would eat this thing and I'd feel okay on Saturday and pretty good on Sunday and Monday. I was just wrecked. And I would say, well, what did I do on Sunday that made me feel like on Monday? I, I worked out. I ate really well. And eventually I realized, you know what? If you eat crap, you're going to pay for it for at least four days in more cravings, more tiredness, more inflammation as your body works through it. And the new science shows that if you eat whole grains, especially wheat, even one time, it takes six months before all the immune molecules that can be triggered from that actually leave your body. Oh, God. That doesn't mean you're going to be paying for it for six months. But... What's going on here is inflammation isn't like a light switch. Your cells swell. Your mitochondria don't work as well. And it takes your body a while to clean up the mess. And one of my favorite analogies is, uh, is from an anti-aging doctor I work with. And he said, look, if you lived in a, in, a, in a town and one time terrorists came in and blew up a building, you would freak out. But when it didn't happen again, eventually life goes back to normal. But if Every six weeks, a terrorist blows up a building. You're constantly going to be on a state of alert. Mm -hmm. And these cheat days where you say, oh, I'm just going to eat a bunch of fried stuff. What the heck? I'm already drunk. and you know, just, just going to double down <laughs> with the fries. You know, that is a constant source of background biological stress for your body. And background mm -hmm. stress is, is, is an inflammatory thing in and of itself. So the inflammation causes stress. The stress you feel 
because you're tired all the time also creates more inflammation and more stress. And you end up never operating at your, at your levels you're capable of because you just keep smacking yourself over the head to have a, a special treat. Mm. And the way I've been able to shift my own mindset, and I, I teach people with Bulletproof, is that you can eat a meal that gives you a food high that is so rich and delicious and amazing. And there's a recipe for Bulletproof Get Some Ice Cream that when you eat it, it actually makes you want to go to bed to try to make a baby because your body's like, there's so much good stuff here to make a baby. <laughs> I, I tell you, it's better than vodka for people listening interested in making something for their day. Um, but you can still live and eat delicious foods and you can have a special treat that makes you feel great afterwards uh, without having to just smack yourself in the face and go, wasn't that good? And, yeah. and I just didn't get that. And now I do. And I, I mean, I look younger than I did a few years ago. Yeah, I have, your skin yeah, now. Truly. Oh, I mean, glowing. For real. Uh, I mean, I, it, it's, it's not, it's not it's polite to brag, but I, I just, I'm going to say I'm living proof that this stuff works because if a 300 pound obese mm. person with you know, arthritis and all kinds of stuff can get to where I, I am. Imagine if, if I'd started when I was 20, mm. what happened? I, I, I would probably look like I was 16 now, mm. I have no idea. But uh, so, so I'm just the worst case possible scenario when you apply things, right? And I'm not perfect. I, you don't have to do everything in the world of biohacking. But the trick and, and the biggest message for you is that you have more leverage when you're one minute old than you do when you're two days old. And the amount of leverage you have to improve things goes down over time. So if you do this right when you're 16 or 20 or 25, the amount of time and effort and energy it takes is almost nothing. And when you get to 50 and you say, oh... I kind of screwed up a while ago and you're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time and it's and, and you suffered through uh, diminished performance the entire time before you noticed. And so, so what if you just got a few things right in your 20s? You're going to have much less of a chance of Alzheimer's when you're 60. And no one who's 20 cares about Alzheimer's. You're not going to get that except you got a 50% chance of getting that at some point. So if you put the right stuff on your plate now, you felt more energy now, you didn't have food cravings, you liked your life, you grew abs, and your skin was looking good, and you didn't get Alzheimer's disease, you kind of win. And, yeah. and that's, that's what no one told me this when I was 20. Why did I not know? Oh. <laughs> that's why we're the pioneer. What's the deal with coffee, I guess? Because a lot of people are now saying that caffeine is bad for you, that you should kind of cut off coffee or not be drinking coffee. So what would you say to that? You know, I just interviewed uh, Dale Bredesen, a guy who wrote a book called The End of Alzheimer's, who's been studying uh, neurology and neurofunction for mm. 20 plus years and asked him that exact question and mm. said, you know, for years, people have been trying to prove that coffee is bad for you. And so far, they've been unsuccessful. So a lot of the stuff you hear about coffee came from in the 1950s, a company trying to sell a burned grain beverage as a replacement for coffee. So they made up a bunch of stuff about coffee, like coffee stunts your growth. And then they put it out there and you still hear echoes of that in, in society. But there are hundreds and hundreds of studies that show that coffee kicks kale's ass in every way it could possibly be done. If you want to look at a superfood, you want to look at, did you know, the amount of caffeine in two small cups of coffee doubles ketone production in the morning. You want to get in ketosis? 
maybe you ought to have some coffee. Wow. <laughs> right? You want to look at incidence of almost every neurodegenerative disease, you might look at coffee. You want to look at cyclic amp expression. So people, I mean, you can say coffee is bad for you, but as someone who's had stage four adrenal exhaustion, adrenal fatigue, yeah, yeah. you know what one cup of coffee a day does? It makes you feel great. Let's get out of bed in the morning. Do you need five cups of coffee a day? Probably not, unless you're a fast caffeine metabolizer. But there are lots of studies that show up to five cups a day is associated with a decline in all-cause mortality. So, you know, I would eat a bowl of gravel for breakfast every morning if that's what made me feel and perform the best. Uh, I don't even care how it tastes. I will just tell you the the science is in on coffee. And if someone wants to say coffee is bad for you, it's usually because they have control issues. And this is deep wiring. I don't want to be addicted to anything. You're like, oh, really? What are you drinking? Water. You look addicted to water. <laughs> don't drink that. So here's the thing. If something tastes good, makes you feel better, makes you perform better, and is associated in hundreds of studies with being good for you, I don't want to have that because I don't want to be... Uh, I, I don't How want come they're a girl, Dave? <laughs> How come I'm she's just, a girl? <laughs> I'm just using my whiny voice. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like that yeah. mindset is like, come on. Like, 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 like shake yourself already. Here's the deal. You are addicted to living and it's okay <laughs> to be addicted to living. And if you have something that makes you feel good and makes you healthier, and if you don't have it for three days, you might get a headache, then drink more of it already. Like, like get over the fear. There's no excuse for that kind of a mindset. Being addicted to something like heroin that kills you is not okay. Being addicted to alcohol, which kills you, is not okay. Being, quote, addicted to coffee because there's a physiological response when you stop drinking it, that's not addiction. Addiction comes from trauma. Mm. And people who drink coffee don't do it because of trauma. They drink coffee because they like it and it makes them feel good and perform better. And so, like, mm. just get off the high horse about coffee, people. Come on. Yeah. See, snap. <laughs> Absolutely. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. Can you talk to us about, I heard you sleep like what, five hours a night? Oh, Is that yeah. true? What's sleep like? I have had an average of six hours and five minutes of sleep per night for the past 1800 and something days. I have to look at my wow. phone. Wow. Do you sleep and on I, a biomat? Uh, no, I sleep on either an absurdly expensive mattress uh, or more likely I sleep on a very hard closed cell foam mat on the floor. And I feel best when I sleep on basically a very hard surface, harder than any mattress known to man, which by the way, costs a hundred bucks and is the cheapest form of mattress you could ever put in a dorm. Wow. And I did go when I started the Bulletproof Diet, I said, you know what? I am, and I started the research to, to write the Bulletproof Diet. And I said, you know, I'm going to prove that calories don't make you fat. I'm going to restrict my sleep to under five hours a night uh, and quite often two or four hours. I am going to eat at least 4,500 calories a day. Wow. Uh, and I'm going to do this for a month and I'm going to gain three pounds because restricting sleep makes you fat. Eating too much calories is supposed to make you fat. And I thought, well, I'll gain a couple of pounds, but the math shows I should have gained 20 pounds and I can show that, that, that this calories in, calories out thing is wrong. Unfortunately, I lost weight and I felt great. <laughs> so I kept doing it for wow. 18 months. I slept wow. five hours a night or less. And I can tell you for people listening, please don't do that. It is not good for you. I probably shortened my telomeres, but I did start a company while working full time and being a new dad. I kind of used the time for the greater good. But 
I will tell you that people who live the longest sleep six and a half hours a night on average. They live longer than people who sleep seven hours a mm. night. doesn't mean less sleep is good for you. It means people who are healthy need less sleep. The fewer uh. toxins you eat and the more energy you have, the less sleep you need. Go figure, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I need more sleep if I work out really hard. I need more sleep if I eat a bunch of toxic stuff uh, or if I'm jet lagged or whatever. So I don't always get only six hours of sleep, but my average is that over the course mm, of years. And I, have, I am looking younger. I'm feeling younger. Like my biology is moving in the right direction, even though I do that. Would I be better off with six and a half hours? I don't know. But if someone tells you, you need eight hours of sleep a night, they don't know what you did that day. They don't know the state of your biology. They don't know your age. They don't know anything about you. So that's kind of not good advice. Just like drinking eight glasses of water a day. By the way, do you like that advice? Eight glasses of water a day? I mean... Yeah, tell us more. Tell well, us. Has anyone ever told you how big the glasses are? I think it was eight fluid ounces, right? Well, they never... The answer's different each time. Yeah. Because yeah. nobody knows. And, and by the way, I weigh about 213 pounds right now. And I can tell you the exact amount of intracellular, extracellular water that's in my body. Do you think I might need more water than you? Because you don't look like you weigh 213 pounds. Right. right. So it's Sometimes. completely BS advice based on nothing. And mm. that's why we have this thing called thirst. And, and so we, we get these things about how much should you sleep? No, how good should you sleep? That's what matters. And you should sleep like an absolute rock star. If you get bad sleep, you need more of it. You get good sleep, you need less of it. And that's the big part of sleep hacking. I wrote what I believe is the first post about how to hack your sleep and looked at all the different variables that contribute to a good night's sleep. And I'll tell you, it's going to cost you about 40 bucks to get good quality blackout curtains in your bedroom. And there's a new study that came out of Japan that found that uh, I think a 73% increase in depression when people were exposed to the amount of light when they slept that comes from street lights outside coming around curtains. It doesn't take very much light to just trash your sleep. So I sleep Whoa. in a cave. It's blacked out. You can't see anything. There's no cell phone charging LEDs. There's no anything. And I put little dots over everything, little adhesive sticker things that one of my companies makes uh, because I see Smart. nothing when I'm asleep. Smart. And I had to do that one time to set it up that way. And now my sleep is better every night. And okay, wherever you are in life, you get 10% better sleep each night. It's 10% better performance that day, even if you only got five hours of it. Wow. Oh, how are you biohacking your child? Yeah. How are you biohacking <laughs> being a dad? You know, it is so cool. Every morning, I make bulletproof coffee with my kids and then I give it to them. Oh. They actually, since they were one year old, have gotten a one or two ounces of bulletproof coffee. And here's the thing. Kids metabolize coffee twice as fast as adults. The caffeine has no effect on them at those doses. But what does is brain octane oil and grass-fed butter. So they have no fear of fat. And mm. they know that they feel bad when they eat bad food. And I had a, they're 8 and 11 now. And I had a, a situation uh, maybe two years ago where... The kids uh, food shamed our, our housekeeper because she took them to uh, McDonald's uh, drive through and not, not to feed them, but she wanted actually to get uh, to get a coffee. I'm like, you kind of know a coffee guy. Like, I'll give you all ten percent. You're like, oh, like so, mm. uh, so so my, my kids were fascinated. There's a drive through. Like, did you, you could talk to these people? And so they were teasing her about this. And and so she was actually getting a little upset because oh, they're mm. a little bit relentless as kids can be. And I said, all right, kids, you have to understand people eat what they're going to eat. And it's not our business to tell people how to eat. Like I tell people how I eat. I tell people the science and people will choose to do what they do. And it's totally okay for them to choose anything they want to do. 
and it's affordable and convenient to eat fast food. So I'm going to take you to McDonald's and there's going to be a playground. There's going to be toys. I'll give you uh, you know, pie and ice cream and McNuggets and whatever the heck else they serve these days. And they looked at me and they said, no. And I said, but it's going to be fun. It's going to taste good. And they said, absolutely not. Daddy, we know how we feel when we eat food that's not good for us. We don't like that feeling. You can't make us. Oh my God. That's my dream. I'm like, did that really happen? Uh, yeah. And to this day, they've never been, but I'll take them anytime. Uh, and I did once, however, I said, you know, kids, I used to work at 31 Flavors in Baskin Robbins. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in college, I worked there. We're going to go there. And, and my wife, Dr. Lana's like, really? I said, well, you gave him some sugar the other day. I'm going you know, to turn around. It's fair, fair play. So we're putting a little bit of parental chicken there. And, uh, <laughs> it's not like my kids never eat any sugar, but they eat small amounts uh, and they understand how much sugar they're eating so they don't tweak. And uh, so I took them to Baskin Robbins and they each got you know, two scoops of, of this stuff and they were kind of blown away. And they said, this is okay, but it's not as good as the ice cream we make at home, but we like it. And of course, 20 minutes later, they're just, you know, flopping all over the place, like acting like kids on a sugar <laughs> high. Uh, one of them gets hives and I'm like, oh, sorry, kids. And after oh, that, really, you know, like we don't want that anymore because they're used to having stable energy. Totally. They, they aren't food obsessed. They, they're not always candy. I have to have candy, candy, candy. Yeah. That mm-hmm. same voice in our head as adults saying, eat, you know, eat the muffin, eat the bagel. That voice is not present for them. And my daughter, she said, daddy, you know, I'm never really very hungry. I mean, she eats well, but she says, I don't really, I don't have strong things like my friends at school. Why do they want to have a snack at 10 in the morning? I'm mm. not hungry. I don't understand mm. it. And, and like to be free from food cravings as a child, Damn. I hope it's good. <laughs> I love that. That's You're amazing. changing the world. Yeah. I, raising I kids like that. watch kids all the time here in LA and seeing the sugar tweaking and seeing the sugar addiction is freaking the craziest thing. It is crazy. We're used to it as, as parents when you see kids because they're always doing that. And I remember uh, my wife gave the kids some coconut water that she didn't know this was spiked with 60 grams of sugar in the form of fruit juice. And so they, they split one of these things and I'm going shopping with them. We're on vacation and they're literally bouncing off the refrigerated cooler, stepping in front of people, flopping their arms around and poking each other. And, ah! and, and, and I got pissed. I'm like, kids, what the hell? Like, you don't act this way. And after a little while, I realized they're not doing this on purpose. They're, you know, they're good kids. There's something going on. And I looked at what they had and they were literally high. So I'm oh, like, go sit in the car and, and hit yeah. each other and, and we'll finish shopping. <laughs> but but that, that state, that's what most people associate with childhood. That's not what kids are like when you feed them right. Kids are actually wired to be mm. curious and compassionate and helpful and occasionally egotistical and they'll eat all the chocolate. That's fine. But but there's a huge difference in their personalities if I feed them wrong. So as a parent who likes to sleep through the night and be able to focus, it's in my interest to feed my kids well for my own peace. Mm. Love, respect. Last question from, from me. Do you, you incorporate CBD in your routine? Are you using CBD? CBD is, is fascinating. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm an investor in a company called Level Blends. Mm-hmm. And it turns out we have about 1,100 cannabinoid or endocannabinoid receptors in our brains. And we're all different. So I've used different CBDs over time, but what works well for you may not work well for me. So I would say for a lot of people, it's just been transformative, but you need to play around with different brands and different blends to see the one that works for your neurochemistry. And right now we're still a little bit of a shot in the dark. This brand, like I've had one brand that's very popular. I just get the munchies. It's supposed to be THC free, but I just get tired and I want to eat everything. Mm. That's not right for my brain, but it works really well for someone else. Mm. So just 
don't expect it to work or not work. Just be curious when you try CBD, but it has proven physiological effects. So I'm, I'm a fan of it. Yeah. I've noticed that too, actually, because I've taken it before and I was like, oh, I don't think it really works. I don't think it really does anything. Mm. Um, but we have a brand that we work with um, through the podcast and I've what, started... What's it called? Moellens. How do you spell it? M-O-W-E-L-L-E-N-S. Moellens. All right. I'll give that stuff a try. Yeah, honestly. Yes. And I love it. It's like, I'm like, oh, I get it. You know, like I understand. I feel relaxed. I feel more at peace. It's kind of like I just had a really good meditation that I can kind of oh, like cool. keep, keep through mm-hmm. the day. Yeah, it's really nice. Mm. Last question for me. What is your like latest favorite biohack? I've gone through so many different biohacks uh, that I, I always tend to think neurofeedback because I'm always finding there's new levels in my brain with, with that stuff. But it's, it's harder to do and, and it's summer right now. And a new study just came out about something that's in Headstrong and something that doesn't cost anything. And I've noticed for years that if I start doing cold showers, in the morning, you just you let the water hit your forehead and your chest. It, you, you feel really awful after about eight seconds. But if you do this every day for three days, by the third day, like it, it's like a light switch is flipped. And the fourth day, you step in and you just feel great when the water's cold. But the first three days of suffering are big. But I couldn't tell you why. I just figured it's toughness or something. They did a study and they looked at something called cardiolipin, which is a substance that modulates your cells' ability to make energy quickly. And they found that three days of cold exposure is the amount required to turn on higher levels of cardiolipin. So now we know through new science that it's not enough to say, I occasionally take a cold shower. You have to do it for at least three days in a row. Uh, And that's inspired me to make sure that when I hop in my cryotherapy chamber, that I actually do it for three days in a row instead of, I did it once and I did it Mm. another time. So consistent cold exposure. And if you don't do it for three days after the first three days, that's fine. When you get back in, it'll still be okay. Uh, So doing it, we'll we'll say three days of cold exposure all in a row is really important. Wow. I love that. Yeah, I love cold therapy. And I have noticed when I do it regularly, I'm like, but I think, but I just kind of attributed that to anything. I'm like, oh, if you do anything regularly, you most likely will see the benefits of it. But I really love Mm -hmm. cold therapy. And I really do love that you can do cryotherapy, which I do, um, but you can also just do a cold shower. So that's such a nice tip because people can do it and it's very affordable. Mm. You guys are down in LA. Mm-hmm. We are. So mm-hmm. you got to swing by the Bulletproof Upgrade Labs in Santa Monica. I know we we go to the Bulletproof. I go to Bulletproof Coffee, but we have we've seen the labs. I'm honestly Haven't scared. Been to the labs. Yet. I'm going to spend like my whole life savings. Yeah, so yeah. I'm be like, I'm ready. Literally. <laughs> what, should, what should we do there? Well, if you've already done cryotherapy, um, then here's something that you won't see anywhere else. We have something called a virtual float tank. And you lay in this thing instead of getting in salt water and doing a sensory deprivation kind of thing. You lay down uh, and you put on light sound goggles and then the whole platform you're laying on spins around like a record player. And it totally launches you into these really spiritual places. It's sort of like a turbo meditation, very similar to what you experience in a float tank, but you're guided where your brain is responding to the lights and the sounds and your nervous system kind of checks out because of the spinning. You don't get dizzy or anything. And it's a very magical combination and it's something that you'll never see. And it's Whoa. way more effective than 45 minutes of normal meditation would be. So I, I have one of these downstairs in my labs here on Vancouver Island. I test everything that's there at my house first. And yeah, that would be uh, a really cool experience. 
Cool. Oh, I love that. Because I didn't like float tank. I'm like, I'm too salty. I have salt in my hair. Mm. It's it kind of smelly. You have your hair look normal after floating? Even 100%. Floating cool, right? I'm like, I am too beautiful to be in this salt tank. <laughs> 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 well, I am just kind of like filled up by your passion for this. Yeah. Um, it's really inspiring and refreshing. And I know our community is going to be so fascinated with all that you've discovered and your story. This brand is one that we've you know, loved for a very long time. So it was an honor to talk to you today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly. I mean, you are just like a, a pioneer in this space and you were so cool and your um, responses were just so concise and so actionable. So I'm really excited to share this with our community. So really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and thank you for uh, for sharing this kind of stuff uh, with people who can benefit from it much more than the people in their 40s can. And if I could leave everyone with, with just one piece of knowledge, it's that you have way more control over your biology than anyone has ever told you. You're totally in the driver's seat, but that also means if something bad happens to you biologically, it's your fault. <laughs> it doesn't mean you did yeah. it on purpose, but it, you can change it. And that mm-hmm. is an incredibly powerful thing to do. It's always in your control. You just have to find the right leverage points, the right hacks. Mm. Mic drop. Love it. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks You're the so best. Much, we really appreciate it. And hopefully we get to meet you soon, but we'll head over to the labs. Yeah. And we'll get in line. We'll go do that spinny thing. <laughs> all right. We're like, hook us up with a spinny thing. Dave said it's awesome. <laughs> all right. If you guys will go in there, uh, drop me a note afterwards. I'll get you, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get you comped on it. So, oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. Oh, we're excited. Thanks so Thanks much. So much. Thanks. Have the best day. Bye. Bye. Dave Asprey, everybody. Thank you so much, Dave, for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. That was such a good one. And it made me inspire me to be bulletproof. I know. I've been like (laughs) focused on fat ever since. You dirty vegan, you. I know. Well, whatever. Mm. Yeah. It's just the butter part. Yeah, I haven't had butter, but I've had just like tons of coconut oil, Mm -hmm. avocado. I'm having way more avocado. I'm trying to think of what else. There's not a lot of things around. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like butter, but yeah, I've been collagen. I do have collagen. Mm-hmm. Like totally. those, those, those bars, bars are grass fed. They're so collagen. good. They're so bomb. And I will, you know, probably have some other things. But yeah, thank you so much, Dave. Um, so Bulletproof is the brand. Um, Headstrong is his book. Bulletproof Coffee is the product. They have Bulletproof Bars, which are awesome. Um, So thank you for that. That was such a great interview. And for Lindsay and I, announcements. So come see us on tour. Like we mentioned, we're going to be in Portland. So we will be in Portland on September 20th, Thursday night. We would love to see you. That would be very nice. And then we have an event that we're speaking at called Spark in Portland, which is also awesome. So that's happening on Sunday and Monday, the 23rd and 24th. Yeah. So if you need to spark something in your life, Mm -hmm. maybe your purpose, your relationship, your career, anything like that, that would be for you. You can visit our website, almost30podcast.com slash tour. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.